0: Everyone is different. There is no two people who are exactly the same because everybody is different. Some of you more different than others. We still love you, but everyone is different. We're all individuals. We're all unique. You're like your own little version of a snowflake. There's nobody who's just like you because everybody is different. So some of you, some of you are tall. Some of you not so tall. Amen? Because you're, you're different. Some of us, you know, some of you, you're skinny. Some of us, we used to be skinny. Amen? Because yeah, we're, all, we're all different. So, some of you drive trucks. Some drive minivans. Some drive cars. We're different. Some of you, Mac, some PC, some iPhone, some Android. Some of you, you wear skinny jeans. Some of you have no business wearing skinny jeans, but we're all <laughs> We're all, we're all different. And and that's the big idea is that every single person is different. There's no two people in the room who are exactly the same because we're all different. Some of you, you're really good at saving money. Others of you are really good at spending money. And then you got married. And then here's what you discovered: you're different. Some of you, you're introverts. And others of you, you're extroverts. Some of you, you're married, some not married. Some of you are single. Some of you are dating. Some of you are rich. Some of you are poor. Some of you are black, white, Latino, Asian. Some of you Democrats. Some of you Republican. Some of us are Christians. Some of you just became Christians. Some of you are not Christians. Welcome, we love you. We're glad to have you. Hopefully we can change that today. But the idea is this, that every single person in this room, we are different. And if we're really honest with ourselves, there's probably, very little that we actually have in common, but there is one thing that we have in common. There is one thing that unites us, shapes us, that defines us, there really is one thing that every single person in this room has in common. And this one thing, it really determines everything for us. It determines who we are, how we see the world, how we view others, how we view God. It determines really the way that we live our life. And this one thing, it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, the way that you're raised, your backgrounds, your beliefs, it doesn't matter your political party, it doesn't matter If you're straight or gay, doesn't matter if you're black or white, Latino, Asian, it doesn't matter anything because every single one of us, we have this one thing in common. Do you know what it is? I'll give you a minute to think about it. Don't throw the slides up just yet. Okay, if you have your Bible, turn through to Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 14. And today we're going to talk about the one thing that we all have in common. And it's this one thing that really impacts, affects, effects, and infects every aspect of our lives. It's this one thing that determines everything for us. Okay, it's a three letter word. Give you a sec to think about it. Grab your Bibles, Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 14, as we continue our study through the book of Mark. We're calling it the simple gospel, where we're just taking the better part of two years, just learning from looking at the very words of Jesus. And today, Jesus, he's going to have some words for us, and he's going to talk about the one thing that we all have in common. Okay, do you know what it is? It's sin. That's the one thing that every single one of us has in common. The sermon title today is this, Jesus and sin. Because you and me and every single person in this room who has ever lived in the history of the world, that we have all sinned. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That there is no one righteous, not even one. That we're all guilty. We're all unclean. We are all defiled. And that's exactly what Jesus is going to be talking about to us today. So if you have your Bible, turn through to Mark chapter seven, starting in verse 14. The sermon title today is going to be Jesus and sin. And the question is, what do we do with our sin? This is a very big problem. This is a very important question for us to be able to wrestle with, because this happens to all of us. That it doesn't matter who you are, how old you are, or where you come from, we really need to figure out what is it that we are going to do with sin. And this is a problem that appeared to us here in the Ellis house. That just this week, me and Ashley, we had our first experience with sin when it comes from my daughter. My daughter, she's two years old, right? She's super sweet. She's precious. She's beautiful. Her name's Esther's son. She is the greatest gift that I have in my life. And just this week, for the first time, she sinned against her mom. I knew this day was coming. I knew it was going to happen, but I didn't know what we were going to do with it. I didn't know what we were going to, how we were going to deal with it. And so Esther, she's upstairs playing. And as she's upstairs playing, um, we're running her bath water. And so she's fixing to take her bath, and she's playing. We come around the corner. And then all of a sudden, we see that Esther, she's putting crackers in the washing machine. Now, just for you legalists, putting crackers in the washing machine, not in the Bible, it's not a sin. Okay, so she's putting crackers in the washing machine, but that's not the problem. As the bath water was running, my, my wife, she goes to her and she says, sweetie, don't put crackers in the washing machine. That's silly. Don't do that. And then she thought, did you put crackers in the bathtub? And Esther, with her big brown eyes, she turns and she looks right up to her mommy and she says, no mommy. And then she turned around and she ran away and she began to to play in her room. So we did a little investigation and we went into the bathroom and the water is filling up the tub. And guess what we found? A whole tub filled with floating crackers. That little girl looked her mommy right in the eyes and she lied to her. Now, we can make a joke and we can say, oh, she's so cute and it's so sweet, but we need to call it what it is. It's a sin. That my two-year-old daughter, she lied. Nobody had to teach my daughter how to lie. She just knew how to do it. Nobody had to teach my daughter how to sin. It came naturally for her because it comes naturally to all of us. That sin is deep down, it's inside, it's a part of our nature, our essence, it is part of the human experience, and it's this problem with sin that really causes all of the problems in the world. That this problem is the sin problem that leads to war. That this is the same problem that leads to racism. This is the same problem that leads to injustice. That sin is the cause for famines and for plagues. Sin is the cause for suffering and devastation and damage. It's this three letter word that impacts, affects every aspect of our life. That it impacts your relationships. That sin is the reason that relationships become strained. That's the reason why friendships, they begin to fall apart. Sin is the reason that someone can smile in your face and stab you in the back. That's a result of sin. Sin affects your job, or your hobbies, your interests, your vocations. It affects your, your, your finances. It affects your family. It affects your faith. And it even affects your children, just like we saw with my little daughter, Esther's son, that sin affects all of us. It doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, how old you are. Every single man, woman, and child has this one thing in common, and it's sin. So the question is not, will we sin? Because that's inevitable. It's unavoidable. It's going to happen. In this life, you and me, we will sin. So the question isn't, will you sin? The question today is this, what are you going to do with your sin? Where are you going to go with your sin? Where are you going to turn when it comes to your sin? Because everyone's going to sin, but the question is, what are you going to do with it? That's what determines the rest of your life. The way you answer this question determines your identity, your destiny, it determines your community, it determines who you are, how you see the world, and how you see your relationship with God. How and what and where are you going to turn when it comes to your sin? So the sermon is Jesus and sin. if you have your Bible, turn with you to Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 14, and we're going to see that there's three responses when it comes to sin. That some people turn to religion, some people turn to rebellion, and then some people turn to Jesus. the first option you get is this, starting in verse 14, and he called the people to him again and said to them, hear me all of you and understand, verse 15, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And then there's a little add on in verse 16, anyone has ears, let him hear. So the situation today is really a continuation of last week's sermon where Jesus gets in a fight with religious people. That Jesus here, he's having a confrontation, conversation with a group of religious leaders known as the scribes and the Pharisees. And so the scribes and the Pharisees, they're thinking like, you know, this is a situation where they're at church. And the scribes and the Pharisees, they confront Jesus. They want to get in an argument with him. They want to discredit Jesus in his life, and his ministry, put his disciples to shame. They want to be able to accuse him so nobody could ever follow him again. Because up until this point, Jesus, he's pretty popular. He's pretty famous. And the Pharisees and the scribes, they're getting really jealous because they don't like people going to Jesus. They want people to keep coming back to them. Because for, for them, for them, it was all about their traditions. So here's the scribes and Pharisees, right? So, so they may have traditions and traditions of what they call of the elders. These go beyond the Bible with their beliefs. They're not in the book, but there's something that they wrote. There's something they made up. And so they have rules and list about the rules. They got footnotes and they quote dead guys. And they have a long, big commentary. And they say, this is the law and this is the way that you have to live. And then Jesus comes along and he's like, mm, I'm not gonna do that, right? I wanna be, be obedient to the Bible, not to your additional man-made lists and traditions. So the scribes, they, they really hate Jesus. And so every time Jesus preaches, they oppose him. Every time Jesus teaches, they resist him. Every time Jesus helps, heals, loves, serves, welcomes people who aren't like them, they get very indignant, very frustrated because Jesus doesn't do things the way that they do him. He doesn't fit into their nice little man-made box of religion. And last week, here's what I told you, is that religion takes a good thing and makes it into a bad thing because religion ruins everything. And it's really easy for us here in the 21st century in the American church to be able to read this and say, yeah, it's so get those religious people. And we say, I can't believe the Pharisees and the scribes. They're so terrible, and they're so horrible, and they were so mean to Jesus. I can't believe the Pharisees and scribes. They would do those things. Who would actually believe that stuff? And what we fail to recognize is that if we're honest, we're probably a lot more like the Pharisees than we'd care to admit. Okay, let me, let me just say this. How many of you, show of hands. How many of you were raised in the church? Go ahead, let me see your hands. Okay, so were the Pharisees. Okay. How many of you, how many of you believe in the Bible, that this is God's word, and that it's good, and that it's trustworthy for us. Okay, good. So did the Pharisees. Okay, y'all can keep your hands up. We're going to go for a while. (laughs) How many of you believe in angels? So did the Pharisees. How many believe in demons? So did the Pharisees. How many of you believed in in, in heaven? Okay, so did the Pharisees. Okay, how many of you believe in hell? Okay, so did the Pharisees. I feel like I'm at an auction. (laughs) How many of you believe in the resurrection? How many of you believe in miracles? How many of you have orthodox conservative theology? Yes, so did the Pharisees. All of our hands should be up because you're a lot more like the Pharisees than you'd care to admit. That we have a lot in common when it comes to the the Pharisees. And so it's really easy for us to sit here and say, those Pharisees are horrible. And we actually need to take in consideration of our own life and recognize that if Jesus were here today, we might very well possibly be the, the Pharisees. And here's what I said. That religion takes a good thing and it makes it into a bad thing because religion ruins everything. And the truth is, the scribes and the Pharisees, they actually started off very good. Right? The first scribe was a man named Ezra. And here's Ezra's story. Okay, Ezra lived about 500 years before the coming of the Lord Jesus. And Ezra brought the Bible back into the center of all of Jewish culture. Ezra, he he gathered the nation around the scriptures and he built the temple. He reinstituted the priests, brought back the sacrifices. The people began praying, repenting of their sin. And after he did that, guess what happened? There was a birth of a spiritual renewal, a great revival, came to the nation of Israel. People were turning back to the Lord and then the nation, it began flourishing because Ezra, he put the Bible in the center of their life and their culture and their civilization and God blessed it and God He began to honor that, and the reason that Ezra came in was because the nation was trying to figure out, what do we do with our sin? See, the sin problem had led them to their exile problem. See, Ezra comes along, um, and all of the nation was in exile in a place called Babylon. I know I'm getting very nerdy. You guys are smart. Y'all can hang with me for a sec. We're doing a little Old Testament survey. You got that? Is that cool? Okay, we're going to get a little Bible nerd. So you get what you pay for. Church is free, so just enjoy it. So... (laughs) So Ezra, he comes out of Babylon. Now, the nation of Israel, they were in captivity in Babylon for about 70 years. And the reason for their captivity was because of their sin. That God said, here's my law, here's my word, I want you to live by it, I want you to live according to it, because God's law is really just a a reflection of the nature and character of God himself. Because God's law is good, God's law comes from him, and it's really God's way of drawing you in to a relationship to where you can experience his presence. And so God says, here's my law, I want you to live by this law. And then Israel goes, God, I don't want to do that. God says, Here's what I want you to live. And, God's, and Israel says, No, here's the way that I want to live. And God says, No, 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 this is, this is the way to life. And they said, No, God, this is the way I want to live my life. And here's the problem is that God brought life and sin brought death because that's what always happens. If you want to know the Old Testament in just about 30 seconds, here's the Old Testament God brings life, sin brings death. Okay, Genesis 1 through 3, all the way through. God brings life, sin brings death. God brings life, sin brings death. God brings life, sin brings death, because that's what sin does. Sin leads to death. Sin always leads to death. It leads to devastation, destruction, despair, and it just destroys people, and it even destroys their culture, and sin led to death. And so they found themselves in Babylon. God delivered them from Babylon, and as Ezra comes in, he says, hey, guess what, this is a Bible. Let's give this a shot, right? Because what we're doing, it's not working. And so the nation of Israel... They look around and they see the effects of sin. They see the death and the chaos. They see the conflict. They see the destruction. They see how it's destroyed their family and how it's destroyed their children. They've seen their legacy, their past. They've seen their nation, civilization, everything fall under the effects of sin. And so, as Ezra brings them back in, they say, You know what? We don't like sin. We don't want to continue living in sin. We don't want to go back to our sin. And so they made an inner vow of themselves, and they said, we'll do whatever it takes so that way we don't fall back into sin. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? That's a good thing. Okay? If we were taking a vote, I would like that to happen. And so here's what they did. They they set a religious system up between the scribes and the Pharisees. Okay, and the scribes, it was their job to interpret the law. So they would take the Bible and they'd write it all down. And they say, here's how we do it. And here's how we live. And here's what we need to do. And then scribe after scribe would add these additional traditions. And then the Pharisees, they would go around and they would make sure that everyone was living according to the traditions. And so they're watching you. They're waiting on you. They're wanting to see, is he going to mess up? What is she going to do? And then the Pharisees they would enforce it and make sure every single person was living according to the letter of the law, even the smallest minus little detail. And here's the problem, is that God's word's actually pretty nondescript, right? Whenever God gave the law, he said, here's what I want you to do, but he didn't really tell us how to do it. He was giving the principle, not so much all the methods. Okay, so for example, here's one thing God said. God said, keep the Sabbath day holy, but he didn't tell them how. See, so the scribes say, God said, keep it holy, but he didn't tell us how, so we're going to write a book on how to keep this day holy. Now, the Sabbath day is a good day, right? God says, hey, I want you to take a day off right? Does that sound good? Amen. God says, take a day off. I came up with it. I worked six days, rested one day. I took a day off. I want you to take a day off. Go to church, read your Bible, hang out with your family, take them to Chili's, go to Jump World. It's going to be amazing. Just take a day off. And then the Scribes and Pharisees, they come along and they said, God said, keep it holy, but he didn't tell us how. So we need to figure out how we're supposed to keep this day holy. And so I wrote a book with 36 chapters. You're supposed to take your day off and you need to read it and you need to memorize it and you need to be able to live it. And if you don't and we catch you, then we're going to come and we're going to get you. So they take what God is good, where God said don't work, and they turn it into a lot of work. Right? That's just what religion does. Another example was over ceremonial hand washing. That's the problem we see last week and the problem we see with this week is that the religious people, they were all about washing their hands. Okay, they had like OCD germ freaks, right? They want to wash their hands. And that's actually in the Bible. In the book of Leviticus, God says, hey, I want you to wash your hands. The priests, that's what you got to do because you're killing animals. You're covered in blood and guts and setting things on fire. And then you got to eat it. That's just nasty. So I want you to wash your hands. And then the scribes, they come along and they say, well, you know what? We're all technically priests. And so let's make everybody wash their hands. And not just after they perform a sacrifice, but let's make them do it before, after, in the middle, you know, in the meantime. Let's just stop. Why stop washing your hands? Right, why don't we wash our el- couches? Why don't we wash copper pots? Why don't we wash our plates? We need to wash our couch. That's what religious people do. They go beyond the Bible, and they come up with all sorts of crazy, ridiculous things. And then they said, if you don't know how to wash your hands properly, don't worry. We wrote a book with 26 chapters on how you're supposed to meticulously, perfectly wash your hands. And if your hands aren't clean, then guess what? You are defiled, filthy, dirty, wicked, sinner, nasty. Wash your hands. And then another one's around food. They said, you can't eat this, you can't eat that. You got to eat it here, you can't eat it there. There's fast and feasible separations. There's preparations. And then here's what happened. God said one thing, and then over a period of 500 years, right? the list, it continued getting longer longer and longer and longer and longer and longer and longer and longer until basically nobody could be able to keep the law. And then Jesus comes along and he says, come here. Let me explain this to you. Let me tell you this. Let me tell you something. See, for the religious people, the problem was sin. They hated sin. They didn't like sin. They didn't want to go back to sin. They saw its effects. They saw its devastation. They saw the wars. They saw their children being taken away from them. They saw everything that came as a result of their sin, and they made a vow. I don't want to go back to that. And so they came up with religion. And they thought, if you do this and you don't do that, then you will be perfect. Then you will be loved. Then you will be holy, and that we can just get rid of the sin by performing all of these actions. Jesus says, "Hey, come here. I need to tell you something. Okay, this is very important. I want you to lean in. I want you to listen to me because this is very important. Here's what Jesus says. He says, he says in verse 15 or verse 14. Hear me, all of you, and understand. Okay, I want you to get this. Okay, it's, it's very important. Lean in, listen. Come on, come on, come on, come a little closer." Come a little closer, because you got to get this. There we go. Come a little bit closer. Here's what he says. There is nothing outside of a person that by going into him can defile him, but these things that come from within a person are what defile him. What Jesus is saying is this, that it's not about what's on the outside, that it's actually what's on the inside, That it's not just what you do, that sin is actually who we are, that sin goes so much deeper than what you previously thought. Sin goes so much deeper to the way that you originally viewed it. Sin goes so much deeper than just what you say, what you do, that it actually goes deep down into your heart. He says that there's nothing outside of a person that by going into them can defile him, but it's the things that come out of a person that which defiles him. Let me say it another way, that we aren't sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners, that we aren't sinners because we sin. We think, oh, it's what I do. No, 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 no that we sin because we are sinners, that it goes deep down into our very core, into our very essence, into the into the heart of the very human experience, that we're all bent in, we're all broken, we're all fractured, we're all flawed, we're all hopelessly, desperately, totally depraved and separated from God from the moment that we are born, that sin isn't just what you do on the outside, sin is actually who we are on the inside, that we are sinners, and that's the reason that we sin. And Jesus says, it's not what's on the outside that defiles a person, but what defiles you, what twists you, what breaks you, what causes shame, what causes guilt, what causes condemnation, what causes all of the problems in your life is not out there. It's in here. And religious people, they don't get this. Because religious people think, if we could just make another law, but that's very similar to what we do today as well. That if we just make a law, then it's not gonna be a problem. Listen, listen, you can take, you can take the, the sin off the hands, but you can't take the hate out the heart. And we think if we just clean the outside, if we just look good, if we just look presentable, if we make people think how righteous and holy and pious and special and religious we are, then we will not sin. See, religion is all about fixing the outside. Do this, don't do that, give this much money, go to this place, tithe, reincarnate, go to Mecca, follow these lists, these rules, and then maybe, possibly, God will love me. But you gotta be perfect. And if you're not perfect, then you're unclean. And then Jesus comes along and says, It's not about what you do, it's not about the outside. Because what defiles you is really coming from within. inside. On the outside, you look perfect, but on the inside, you're defiled. And religious people, that's the way that they are. See, when you look at them on the outside, if you take a picture of them, through a photograph, they look perfect. But if you see the way God sees, like an x-ray on the inside, they're still defiled. On the outside, they look one way. On the inside, they look another way. And here's what they didn't understand, that we aren't sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. They couldn't get it. To them, it's all about what you do. And so they built all these rules, all these laws to be able to prevent them from their sin. But in the end, it led to nothing more than cold, dead, lifeless, heartless religion. So that's your first option. You could turn to religion. How many of you today, you would say, that's me. I turn to religion. Okay, nobody? Nobody? Okay then this next point's for you. Because some of you are just rebellious. Gotcha. It's really easy for us to, to sit here and say, yeah, get those religious people. And anytime I preach it, people are, come up after me like Pastor Byron, that was just such an amazing sermon. I love that sermon. Cause you know, I grew up in a very religious home and my parents were very strict and they would make me go to church every single week. I call that good parenting, not religion, but they would say I had to go to church every single week. And you know, I wasn't allowed to eat Lucky Charms and you know, I couldn't read Harry Potter and I got kicked out of youth group for sagging my pants. Get those religious people. And it's really easy for us to point the finger at religious people, which really is just religion in the opposite direction. Because you still think you're better than other people, which is what religion and what rebellion actually has in common. See, I want you to understand something. Some of you are like, I don't want to be religious. And then all of a sudden, the pendulum swings in the opposite direction, and you end up just being rebellious. Religion and rebellion are the exact same thing. The only difference is rebellion has a very low standard. But the problem remains. Some people turn to religion and some people turn to rebellion. Okay, so if you didn't raise your hand for religion, go ahead, I'll I'll, I'll get you. Just hold on for a sec. (laughs) See, I can't just pick on the religious people, I gotta pick on everybody because here at Redemption, I mean, we're for everybody. That means I gotta get everybody. So here we go. This one's for you. Buckle up. Some people turn to rebellion. Here's what Jesus does Mark 17. And when he goes back, he entered into the house and he left the people. So church is over. Jesus goes back. He, he's talking to the religious people. Then he talks to the crowd. And he has a little conversation with his disciples in the middle. Okay, And so there's a little transition that's happening here. And his disciples asked him about the parable. They say, okay, Jesus, what does that mean? That was a little confusing. What does it mean that what goes into a person isn't what defiles them, but rather it's what comes out of them that defiles them. Jesus, that's a little confusing. Can you explain that to us a little bit better? And here's what Jesus says. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? The disciples are probably like, yeah, Jesus, that's why we asked you. Again, because we are without understanding. She's like, do you understand? They're like, no, that's why we asked you this question. That's why we're coming to you because we want you to explain it to us because Jesus, it is a a little confusing. And so Jesus goes a little bit further. Verse 18, and he said to them, then you are without understanding. Here's what he says. Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not into his heart, but in his stomach and is expelled. In the Greek, that literally means into the latrine. Okay, That's a fancy word for toilet. So what Jesus is actually doing here, he's telling a poop joke. Just so you know that, Jesus is telling a a poop joke here. He's like, it's not what goes into you, it's what comes out of you. Okay, You get it? I got a two-year-old daughter, lots of poop jokes in her house. I know exactly what Jesus is talking about. Got to do a little comic relief because it's about to get really intense. Thus he declared all foods clean. Those of you who are taking notes, you're wondering, what does that mean? I want you to write in the margin, bacon. That's what it means. (laughs) Jesus declared all foods clean. Verse 20, and he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, not on the outside, but on the inside, within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts. Now I'm going to pause right here. Because Jesus is about to get very specific about some cultural issues that we tend not to like to talk about. Jesus is going to address some things that are going to make us uncomfortable. He's going to talk about some things that we don't really want to talk about. And it's going to be for your good. Because anything that Jesus says is good. And it's so that way you can experience the greatest amount of life. Jesus comes to bring life and life abundantly. So when he says these things, it's going to get a little uncomfortable. We're going to get a little awkward. But what I want you to do is I want you to lean in. I want you to listen to I want you to be able to understand that this is coming from Jesus, which means it's really coming from the heart of the Father. And so Jesus is going to say some things. He's going to address some things. And it's really important for us to listen to what he has to say. So here's what Jesus says. Sexual immorality. Theft. Murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things, they're not just mistakes, they're not just your appetites, they're not just a lifestyle. They're not just your opinion or your proclivities. They're not just the way you were raised. Jesus says, evil. All these evil things come from within. Not out there, but in here. And that is what defiles a person. How many of you, it's a little surprising that Jesus would actually call out sin how many of you think it's a little shocking that Jesus would specifically name 12 very direct things that he calls not only sin but he also calls evil is that does that come to a surprise to some people because oftentimes what we think is is that Jesus he would never say anything controversial that Jesus, he would never call anyone out, that Jesus would never say anything that might offend someone else, that Jesus would never do those things, but the truth is Jesus does it all the time. See, see we read the Bible and we think, well, Jesus hangs out with sinners. He's always hanging out with prostitutes and tax collectors, that Jesus is friends with fishermen. They're probably dirty and nasty and saying things that make their mom blush. And he's hanging out with lepers. And he's just always with the lowest of the low, that Jesus, he, he hangs out with sinners. And that's absolutely true, that Jesus does hang out with and is friends with sinners because the truth is, if Jesus wasn't friends with sinners, then he would have no friends because he's the only one who's without sin. It's the one thing that we all have in common. And so Jesus, he does hang out with sinners, but you can kind of come under the impression that, well, if Jesus is friends with them, then this really must not be that big of a deal. That Jesus, he goes and hangs out with them and he's always spending time with them and he's coming to the defense because he's always getting fights with the Pharisees and the religious people, so he must be pretty cool and okay with sin. That's actually not what we read. We see here in Mark, that Jesus, he addresses the religious people. He says, hey, your sin, it's religion. He calls it exactly what it is. That you think you can wash your hands, the problem is that you have a defiled heart. But then he turns to the crowd and to the rebellious people, and he calls them out. See, the religious people, they think, I can prevent my sins and be perfect. And the rebellious people think nobody's going to be perfect, so what's the point? Let's just live however we want, do whatever we want, whenever we want. We don't like the rules, so we don't live by any rules. It's just rebellion. It's religion in the opposite direction. It's the same thing with just lower standards. That's exactly what rebellion is. And it's really easy for us that we could just sit here and be like, yeah, get those religious people. Meanwhile, you're taking hits of your bong, drinking six IPAs, calling it a hobby, watching porn and trying to hook up with chicks from Dixie. You think, at least I'm not religious. No, you're rebellious. And there really is no difference in the sight of God. Religion and rebellion are equally sinful in the sight of God, that it separates you from God, that it breaks you, that it destroys you, that it robs you, that it defeats you, and that it holds you back and keeps you from him. Some people turn to religion, some people turn to rebellion, but the problem remains. It's sin. And so here Jesus is going to address some very specific issues when it comes to sin. But before we get into that, some of you are wondering, well, what is sin? I know that you're asking that. Great question. Glad you asked. I'll give you a definition. Okay. In the Bible, the word sin, it, it really means hard to miss the mark. Okay. So any of y'all ever shoot a gun, archery? Think about it in that same way, that you have a target, there's a bullseye, there's a mark. So you gotta hit the mark. Okay. Sin means you miss the mark. And here's the deal. You can be five degrees off and you can still miss the mark. Because the mark is perfection. The mark is holiness. People compare. mark is God himself. Instead of comparing yourself to other people, compare yourself to God, and you'll see how far you've missed the mark. That's God's mark, perfection. How many of you would say, I'm perfect? Nobody? Then we agree. We're all sinners. Even in our day and age, we would say this. We would say, but nobody's perfect. Then we agree that it's the one thing that we all have in common. And some of you right now, you'd be like, but I'm a good person. You're good for a sinner. <laughs> you're the best version of a sinner that you could be, but you're still just a sinner. You say, no, 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 I, I love my dog. I, I pay my taxes, right? I, I, I work a nine-to-five job. I, I love my kids, right? I, I love my thank you for those things. You're adding to a better civilization, but you're not adding towards your salvation. You've missed the mark. We've all missed this mark. That's what sin means. But the Bible goes a little bit deeper than that, that not only is it to miss the mark, but it also brings separation. That sin is anything that separates you from God. That's what we see in the book of Genesis, that as Adam and Eve sin fell, rebelled, they were separated from God. The prophet Isaiah says sin brings separation from God, that it literally separates you, that God cannot be in the presence of sin. And so you are not allowed to be in relationship with him because your sin in his presence would destroy you. And so you're separated from him. And sin also brings separation from other people. This is why when you sin, you have so much shame that you can't go talk to another person. This is why when you're in sin, you begin to isolate. You're like, I don't wanna go to church. I don't wanna go to community group. I don't wanna go to my serve team. I don't wanna pray to God. I don't wanna be around other people. I don't wanna read my Bible because sin literally separates you. This is the reason that you don't follow after Jesus is because sin has actually separated you from him sin always leads to separation between you and God but also between you and other people and sin involves a couple of different areas we dig down just a little bit deeper we see it involves these areas your words your deeds your thoughts and your actions okay so your words have you ever said something you shouldn't say yes. are you alive yes. that's sin have you ever done something you shouldn't do? Have you ever lived a way you shouldn't live? Have you ever acted a way that you know that you shouldn't acted? Have you ever thought things that you know that you shouldn't have thought? That's sin. Some of you say, oh, but, but, but I didn't do anything. I, I, just, I just thought it. Nobody knows. God knows. God knows your thoughts. God heard that and he says, That's sin. And sin is your thoughts, your words, your deeds, your actions. And sin also is sins of commission and sins of omission. See, some of us, we just think in terms of commission. It's what you do. It's what you say. And I didn't do anything. I'm a good person. It's going to be okay. And I'm better than those people. And, you know, at least I didn't beat anybody or kill or lie or cheat or steal. I didn't do any of those things. So that means I'm pretty good. But you fail to do the most important thing. That's be in relationship with him. That's a sin of omission. You never repented of your sins. You were never filled with the Holy Spirit. You never lived in Christian community. You never honored the word of God. You never lived according to the word of God. You never lived in relationship with him. What makes you think just because you die, you're gonna go to heaven when you have no relationship with him in this life? It doesn't work that way. Sins of commission is what you do. Sins of omission is what you fail to do. And you failed and you've fallen and you've sinned and you're guilty. Every single one of us. How many of you want to go back and raise your hand and say, I'm religious? (laughs) There is no turning back. And so what religion does is it wants to fix the outside. And what rebellion wants to do is it wants to ignore everything all around them. And they want to live their own life in their own way, in their own direction. And Jesus says... Nothing more than just rebellion. And so here's what he's going to do. He's going to give us a list of some very specific things. Hopefully by now, we've all been laid bare by the scripture. Amen? That we should all be confronted with our sin. That we should all be confronted with what defiles. That we should see our sin for what it is. That we should see it for how it is. We should see it for the effects and the despair and the death and the damage that comes along with sin and it should it should bother us it should haunt us it should break us because it's what defiles us so jesus here is going to give a list of some very specific things and it really revolves around omission and commission your actions and your attitudes and here's what he says number 1 sexual immorality That word in the Greek is very important. In the Greek, the word sexual immorality it means porneia. Can you think of any other word that might sound like porneia? Okay, pornography. And the Greek word porneia it means anything outside of heterosexual sex between a man and a woman for life. That's what it means. It's this term pornea. It means anything and everything. So think about it when you go online you're like you go to look at porn, please don't do that by the way, but let's say you go and you, you, you don't say like, "Oh, my pastor told me to go look at porn." <laughs> Not this sermon. <laughs> go online and you type in pornography. What comes up? Everything that 's what the word pornea means. It means everything, okay? whatever you think of, whatever your vice, whatever your fetish, whatever you're into everything. That's what porneia means. It means etc. And some people are like, but the Bible doesn't say it. No, it does. It's this brilliant word they use called porneia, which means it's also included. It means anything outside of heterosexual sex between a man and a woman in the covenant of marriage for life. And this might come as a shock to a lot of you that Jesus would actually say this. Because according to our culture, you've been told Jesus never addresses this issue. But that's actually not true. Because you don't know your Bible, you listen to someone on YouTube, and then you let them form your opinion. This isn't in my notes, but I'm going to. Jesus addresses this issue three times. You say, oh, it's not in there. Actually, it is. Mark 15, or Matthew 15, Mark 7, and Revelation 2. In Revelation 2, Jesus comes and he speaks to the church and he says, this is what I have against you, that you've tolerated sexual immorality. Strong words. And here Jesus says, it's, it's a sin. Now, is it the only sin? Absolutely not. Okay. There's a bunch of others, but here's what happens. The church wants to make it the only sin that they address. Jesus, he's going to get everybody. Right, so, so, so if you're here today and you're struggling with one of these, just so you know, it's the one thing we all have in common. So here's what he says first, sexual immorality. But the list goes on. Theft. You're like, I didn't steal anything. Well, let's talk about it. Theft is stealing from another person. It could be stealing their ideas. It could be taking what doesn't belong to you. Theft can also be charging your boss for hours you worked when you were really just scrolling through Instagram. It's theft. It counts. He goes on and he says, murder. I didn't kill anybody. Jesus also says this. If you look at anybody with hate, you've already done it. Murder. Coveting. That's wanting something that doesn't belong to you. We call that being an American, amen? <laughs> Coveting. Wickedness it's a blank check. Anything that's outside of the Bible, it's wicked. Sensuality, that's pornea of the mind. That's thinking lustful thoughts, because lust is not something you do. Lust is something that's inside of you. Sensuality, looking at another person with lustful thoughts, pornea of the mind. Envy, that's wanting what somebody else has. That's jealousy, when you see somebody succeed and you think it should have been you, when you see somebody with something you want and you think it should be you, when you see somebody who's getting married and you think I'm still single, when you see somebody with kids and you really want to have kids, that's, that's a heart that God has given you that's been twisted and the enemy is using it now to produce envy. He goes on and he says, slander. Talking bad about somebody when they're not in the room to defend themselves, accusing them of falsehoods and accusations that you know aren't true, but you want to damage their reputation. It says that's slander, pride. It's really just another word for self-esteem. I'm better than them. I'm better than those people. And some of you right now, you're reading this list and you're thinking, oh, well, I'm better than those people. No, you're not. Gotcha. You're proud. You're on the list. Congratulations, you made the list. And then he says, foolishness. Jesus says, don't call anybody a fool. Apparently, lest they're a fool because foolishness is also sin. Jesus is trying to show that sin comes from within. That the reason you say the things you say is because it's who you are. The reason you do the things that you do is because it's who you are. The reason you live the way that you live is because it is the way that you are. That sin is not out there. The problem is that sin is actually in here. And some of you wonder, Byron, why are you hitting this so hard? Why are you talking about this so much? And it's because I see so many young people especially want to take this scripture, that it's not what's on the outside, it's what's on the inside, take it, twist it, use it, and abuse it as an excuse for them to continue living their sin, to continue to to, to live their life in the direction that they're heading, and make a mockery and an abuse of the grace that God gave you. So people say, oh, well, see, it's not what's on the outside, but it's inside. And Jesus, he really knows my heart. It's not really what I do. It's actually who I am. It's not really what I say. Oh, it's just the way that I I live and God knows my heart. And so I can just live how I want, when I want, whenever I want, because, well, it's not what's on the outside. It's actually what's on the inside. And I would tell you, just keep reading, because all your evil comes from within. And people, they want to take this verse and they want to abuse it and allow them to be able to live their life however they want. But that's actually not what this verse is saying. That Jesus, he didn't go to the cross so you could crucify him again. Jesus didn't get out of that grave so you could make your home in one. Jesus didn't defeat death so that way you could be a slave to it. Jesus didn't overcome sin so that way you could be mastered by it. That's not what this verse means. That's not what Jesus does. That's not how any of this works. And I've seen so many people take, twist, abuse the scriptures to be able to justify their own inactions. And they say, it's not about what's out there. It's about what's in here. And Jesus says, yes, the heart is evil. That's why you do the things that you do. It's not what's on the outside. The problem is what's on the inside. And I met this one guy, because it's always the young guys. Good Lord, it frustrates me to no end. He was living with his girlfriend. He was hooking up with her, and he was... In our community group and I was like dude what are you doing this is not how we're supposed to do things that we're supposed to honor we're supposed to love we're supposed to cherish and we're supposed to wait until marriage and he said no Byron quit being religious okay because that's the rebellious people's response to anything that's convicting they say you're religious and they said quit being religious and he pointed me right here to this passage of scripture says see it's not what goes on the out it's what's on the inside and I said keep reading bro Because all that evil comes from within. Let me tell you that this is the way that it works. And what Jesus says this, Jesus says here, he says this, he says all these evil things come from within and that's what defiles a person. Essentially what Jesus is saying is this, that sin starts in the heart before it ever moves to your hands. That sin starts in the heart before it ever moves to your hands. That we, we, we're not just good people born with blank slates. No, we're crooked people born with defiled hearts. That sin starts in the heart before it ever moves to the hands. Let's just get rid of this myth that we're all just good people who happen to do bad things. Because that's just not the way it works. We're not good people who happen to do bad things. That we're just people and occasionally we do good things. Right? But let's just get rid of this myth. That's like saying, oh, I'm an apple tree who produces oranges. No, you're not. You're an orange tree. Sin starts in the heart before it ever moves out to your hands. You can't be a good person and just beat your wife occasionally. No, you can't be a good person and lie. That makes you a liar. Right? You can't be a good person who steals. That makes you a thief. You can't be a good person who cheats. That makes you a cheater. You can't be a good person who just looks at porn sometimes. Because porn actively supports the sex slave trade, abuse, manipulation, rape, prostitution of young women. You can't be a, just a good person who supports the abuse of women. You're either one or the other. You can't be both. And we've already seen that we're not good people. We've all sinned. We've all fallen. We've all come short of the glory of God. Let's just get rid of this myth that we're just good people having to do bad things. No, sin starts in the heart before it ever reaches the hands. That it starts here. It starts with your actions. It starts before the actions, before the attitudes. It comes from the posture of your heart. See, why do I live the way that I live? It's because you are the way that you are. And what religion wants to do is it wants to say, follow these things, and then you'll be perfect. And rebellion says, nobody's perfect, so what's the point? Why well, try? I want to live how I want, do what I want, when I want, whomever I want, however I want. And Jesus says, all the evil in the world comes within the heart of the man. And so we've talked about sin. We've addressed sin, we've defined sin, But up until this point, we haven't really dealt with it. I mean, think about it. The religious people, they turn towards religion. They say, well, I'm just going to be this way. And then the rebellious people, they turn this way. But it never actually deals with the problem. Some people excuse it, some people justify it, some people don't care. The problem remains, sin remains. And you know sin is real. I mean, let's just be honest. You, you know it's real. You suffer the effects of it. That we've all been sinned against. That people have acted in ways that were sinful towards us. And you know that you're not just victims. You're also perpetrators because you've also acted in ways towards others. You, you see its effects. You feel its damages. You know it because you feel it. And when you look in the mirror, if you're honest with yourself, you get it. But the question remains, what do we do? Where do we go? Where do we turn when it comes to sin? Some people turn to religion. Some people turn to rebellion. And then the last response is that some people turn to Jesus. That Jesus, he... He knows what to do with the sin problem. Jesus knows how to deal with sin. Jesus knows what to do when it comes to sin. Some people turn to religion. Some people turn to rebellion. But some people, they turn to Jesus. And here's, here's what we see happen. I want you to jump back to verse 17 because it's really in the response that we see the correct Reaction, Verse 17, and when he had entered in the house and he left the people, his disciples asked him about the parables. Okay, so here's what we see that happens. Jesus closes with a very haunting ending. He doesn't give us an answer. He says, here's the problem, but he doesn't actually give us the answer. He leaves us hanging without a solution. He just says, it's evil inside of you and that's what defiles you. It's what's inside of you. But then he just ends the message. And so we don't actually get a resolution, but what we need to do is look at the people's response. They turn. So we see that there's three people in the story today. There's the religious leaders. They turn to religion. There's the crowd. Jesus says they've turned towards rebellion, but there's a third group of people known as the disciples, and they drew close to him. They turned to him. When they're wondering, Jesus, what does this mean? They went to Jesus. When they're questioning within themselves, Jesus, what does this mean? What do I do with this? How do I deal with this? I don't understand this. Jesus, what do I go? Where do I do? What did they do? They turned to Jesus. That's the proper response. That the religious people, they turned their back on him. The crowd, they had turned their back on him. But the disciples, they turned their face towards them. They go to him and Jesus deals with sin. What do we call it when a person turns to Jesus? There's a word for it. It's called repentance. There's another R for you. Religion, rebellion, repentance. That means that you turn to Jesus. And here's what what repentance means. It literally means to turn. It means to change, to change your thinking, to change your living. It means to turn an about face. So here's life, every single one of us. One thing we all have in common, sin. You, me, everyone in this room, our life is heading into this direction. That this is our direction, this is our destination, this is our death destiny heading towards death and destruction. Because sin always leads to death. And we're heading headlong. We're born in sin, bent in, broken in crookedness. Nobody is born right. Nobody is born right with God. Nobody is born heading in in holiness. And so here's what happens: that we're chasing our desires, we're chasing our wills, we're chasing our passions, we're thinking that this is the way to living when really it's just the way to death. And repentance is this. It's a turn. That it's a a turn, it's a change. It's a change of thinking, it's a change of heart, it's a change of mind, it's a change of living. It's an about face, that you're no longer walking in sin, but now you begin walking in the light of the sun. That you're no longer walking in your old life, but you turn and now you're walking in a new life. That you're no longer following your purpose and your passions, things that you've made up, things that you think is what makes you right. No, you turn and you follow and you trust in the word of the Lord, that you change your life. That's what repentance means. It's an about face, that this is my old life and this is my new one. That that's my old self, that this is my new self. That that's my old nature, but in Christ, I get a new nature. That's my old way of thinking, but in Christ, I have a new way of thinking that it results in what Jesus has been getting at this entire time. The heart. Repentance is the only way to deal with the heart. See, the problem has never been the hands. The problem has always been the hearts. Religious people, they're so concerned with the hands. I got to wash my hands. I got to clean my hands. Jesus says, it's never been about your hands. It's always been about your heart. That I want to give you a new heart that it's not about what you do because it's not the problems outside. It's not just about what you say because that's not the outside. That's the outside. I don't want to change you from out there. I want to change you in here. I want to change your life from the inside out. And so many people are so worried about the outside or ignoring or excusing the outside, justifying themselves when inside Jesus is right there. He's, he's beating on your heart. He's opening your heart. He's calling for your heart. And what Jesus wants more than anything, he doesn't care about your hands. He wants your hearts. Yeah. And repentance is the only way for you to have this brand new heart. And I want to show you something. That repentance always leads to relationship. That you can be right with God. That you can be one with God, that you can be reconciled with God, that your sins can be forgiven, your past can be erased, and that the stain that sin left that defiled you is removed from you, and you are allowed and entered into his very presence, and you can be with him. Because according to Jesus, that which defiles is your sin, but through the cross and the work of Jesus, you are cleansed there's a disciple who was here on that day. His name was John. And later on, he writes a book of the Bible called First John, and he's writing to a church who's really wrestling with this same thing that the disciples and you and me and everyone in this room were wrestling with because it's the one thing that we all have in common. And so his church was wrestling with this one thing. Can you throw that scripture slide up? They were wrestling with Jesus and sin. And John writes, and this is what he says, If we confess, what is that? It's repentance. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all un righteousness if we confess if we repent say God I'm not perfect I haven't been perfect I know my sin I name my sin I'm confessing it before you today if we confess our sins if you drop your pride if you lay down your excuses if you just call it for what it is if you just confess your sins you're not perfect you know you're not perfect God knows you're not perfect who do you think you're fooling who do you think you're hiding you're broken bent in confess it confess that sin and guess what he is faithful he said he'd do it he will do it he said he wants to do it it's because he wants to do it he said he can do it it's because he can do it he wouldn't tell you he could do it if he can't do it because God is faithful if you confess he's faithful he's just justice was served on the cross that through the cross of Jesus, the debt has been paid. That justice has been paid. That Jesus lived the perfect life, the life without sin. He died the death that you deserve, the death because of your sin. Does God take death seriously? Absolutely. He, does God take sin seriously? Absolutely. He takes it so serious, he died for it. And Jesus goes to that cross in our place. And as Jesus is hanging and bleeding and broken and bruised and his love and his blood is poured out for you, his blood cleanses you from all unrighteousness. And you're cleansed. You're clean. You're no longer defiled and you are saved. You are cleansed. Yes. Your past cleansed. Your shame cleansed. Yes. Your actions cleansed. Your attitudes cleansed. Your old life cleansed. Your new life from Him. You are cleansed of all unrighteousness. That which defiles you no longer defines you. Yes. Because now you have a new identity. No longer sinner. But now, a son and a daughter of the living God. Yes. Yes. It's the one thing that we all have in common. That we're all sinners. Yeah. But the one thing that you and me and every single person in this room, including my two-year-old daughter, we desperately need Jesus. The one thing that we all have in common is that we all need Jesus because he's the only one who knows how to deal with sin. Some of you, you've turned to religion. You're here today and you have just been working so hard on cleaning the outside. But your heart is far from him. You've been all about the rules and all about the lists, and you've even taken it upon yourself to be able to point the problems out in other people. And you think, man, God must really love me because I've earned. He says, no, you haven't. You're just as filed as the rest of us. Others of you, you come here today, and it's just really been a bunch of rebellion in your life. You know who God is, and you don't live for him you know what God's done and you don't want anything to do with him. And you've excused your sin, you've justified it, you've explained it all the way, but really inside you know that it's really there. And what Jesus is saying is today is, look, I love you. Just come to me. I'll give you a new heart. If you just come to me, I'll I'll, I'll give you a new heart. Listen to this. If you give him your sin, the worst part of you if you give him the worst part of who you are, if you give him what keeps you awake at night, if you give him your guilt, if you give him the worst day of your life, if you give him your sin, he says, I'll give you myself. I'll give you my best. I will give you one better. I'll give you a brand new heart. The one you have isn't working anyway. And this leads to relationship, that Jesus is just as real for you today as he was for those disciples, that you can go to him today and he'll going to forgive you. You can go to him today and he's going to love you. You can go to him today and you can say, God, I don't understand. I, I don't get it. I'm wrestling so hard with temptation. I'm wrestling so hard with grief and despair. I'm wrestling so hard with following after Jesus. I don't know if I can do this, but here's what we see. We keep turning to him. Every single day, keep turning to him because it's the one thing that we all have in common is that we all need Jesus